in 2015, I was so poor that I couldn't afford food. I had no money. I had, I have a picture of it somewhere. I had 10 cents in my checking account. I had a savings account somewhere. There was 25 bucks in it. I still don't know which bank that's with or what happened to it. It's like I, I took a car loan out once upon a time and in order to get a loan from that bank I had to have a savings account with them and then I never I never followed up with the account. I think I told that story on here before. I was I was so poor that I started going to AA meetings for the food. Specifically coffee, but they also had cookies, so I had something to eat in the morning. It was funny, one of them I went there, you know, I, <laughs> this was, this was an, an amazing year. It was 2015. So I quit my job at the VNA in December, 2014. I sold my car back to the dealership and I decided I'm just going to live on the student loan money for the next year while I write my thesis, my master's thesis. I was, it was my last year of the master's program at Salem State. It's one of the best years of my life. It was it was so great. I would spend the day, like, I would get up, I would go down to Kathmandu. It's a coffee shop in Danvers. I was living with Chris. I was living, like, a spare room in Chris's apartment. And I, I gave him some money at the end of this, but it wasn't, like, the amount of money that it would have been if I was paying rent so it was like he did me a huge favor but I would go down to Kathmandu in the morning at like 4 30 in the morning and be there when they opened at five that that early and I would get the ice brew cold brew whatever it was called it was so, so good it was so good I always mean to go back down there I should because you know these small businesses they're not open forever I should go down there and I mean, I have once or twice gone down there, and um. Any rate, I would work on my thesis all morning. And then at some point, I'd go, you know, walk around Danvers. You know what? Yeah, that that's funny because there was a point when I didn't have money to do that. That's kind of the point of the story, right? I had no money, so at some point I couldn't do that. I would go, I would instead go to, I would go out, walk around, and then there was an AA meeting across the street from the library in Danvers. And um, this really isn't like a pretext. I, I wasn't like really going to the AA meeting for the AA part. Like I really was only going there <laughs> because I had, no, I had nothing. I had no food and I needed coffee. I mean, when you drink coffee, you can't not have coffee. So I would go there, get my coffee, eat some cookies, and listen to people's stories. And one day I went there and my freaking neighbor was there. And it's only funny because it's not, you know, it's it's a personal business. It's just funny that, you know, I shouldn't have been privy to the fact that she was there. And I'm there under false, you know, pretense. You know, obviously we never talked about it or anything. But that has nothing to do with what I'm about to talk about now. There's something that I started calling the keyhole problem. It's a weird topic because I feel like it's one of those things where if I started talking about it with anybody, they would probably think it was such an obvious thing that they wouldn't find it interesting. 
But then this is this is probably you know, I get stuck on these things and then I realize something that explains it. And the people who think it was so obvious, they don't know that thing that actually explains it. So like it actually isn't obvious. It's just that most of the time we're not interested in questions that it's like even though we can't really explain it we feel like we can and so we we don't dive into it but here i am in parking lot b at the ymca taking on the keyhole problem because i'm a freak imagine you're standing on the sidewalk bright sunny day and you are facing the street and you're looking out across the street and there's a house there and there's a door front door for our purposes here let's just imagine that it's street level meaning like there's no porch it doesn't really matter but um just imagine the doors like directly in front of you but you know across the street and there's a keyhole the keyhole from your vantage point is just a black dot if you even see the black dot you know if you're looking at a keyhole from across the street you can't see through that keyhole like even if the lights were on inside it would be well dot 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 that's going to be what I talk about in a second the end of that sentence but the point is you couldn't see if anyone was looking back at you now put yourself on the other side of the door you are <laughs> in your house crouched behind the door looking through the keyhole because you're a, a creep you can clearly see the person on the other side of the street. No problem. How come you can see them and they can't see you? Or flip it around, you're on the street. How come you can't see anyone but they can see you? Why? If you don't have a good answer to that, then it's not obvious. And you can't give me a hard time for being interested in this problem. And what I came up with what I realize is that the key to this <laughs> we're going to use different language than that the explanation is well let's talk about something that is not really the explanation that I thought was the explanation so as I was thinking through this I thought I landed on the solution, which was, okay, for okay, for the person on the street, you just represent a small portion of their full um, range of vision. I, I don't know how to say it. Their visual field. That's the term I was looking for. So for the guy on the street, imagine everything they're seeing. They're, they're looking straight ahead. Now imagine just like the border of that. And you have, you know, right kind of in the center of that, you have this little tiny speck, and there's a person on the other side of it. Okay, that I think is an accurate description of their visual field. The person on the other side of the keyhole represents a little tiny fraction of that, of their visual field. For the person on the other side of the door looking through the keyhole, this is wrong, but at first I thought this was the solution. I thought, oh, okay, by putting your eye up to that keyhole, 
you're causing the person on the other side to represent a larger portion of your visual field. You see what I'm saying? You're kind of blocking out everything else. So this concept of your visual field, that's a good concept to have. I'll talk about that in a couple minutes if I talk about telescopes. But it doesn't solve this problem because the truth is the person on the other side of the street does not represent a larger portion of your visual field. If you're imagining looking through the keyhole and like you just see the person... No, no, no. You see the person, but they're far away. They're across the street. You also see all the stuff around them. So the person hasn't gotten any bigger. And that was kind of, that's the experience. If you're looking through the keyhole, figuratively speaking, you experience it as if, why do they look big to me, but I look small to them? And eventually, I realized... (laughs) (laughs) it's not about the keyhole it's all about the door if you take the door away just imagine the person is still crouched there with their eye one of their eyes closed and they're looking through the keyhole but then just take the door away like everyone's frozen it's like saved by the bell where Zach would call time out everything's frozen but you just you take the door away Those two people represent exactly the same proportion of each other's visual field. Neither of them look bigger or smaller to each other. The entire time what was happening is 99.9% of the person behind the door was being obscured by the door. So I landed on the idea that if you're hiding behind a door, no one can see you. But there is another issue here, which is, well, maybe it's not another issue. It's just another way of saying the same thing. It feels like you've done something to your visual field when you're looking through the keyhole. It feels like you've kind of zoomed in on the person. And I, I guess the revelation is you just haven't. There's, there's something about looking through the keyhole that makes you feel like the person is, I don't know, like you're... You've blocked everything out, but you just haven't. You have to put yourself on the street looking at the house and realize that that person's visual field is just as big as yours. They're not just looking. They're seeing, like, the door, the house, the sky above, the sidewalk in front. And you are also seeing all that stuff when you're looking through the keyhole. Maybe that sounds like a puzzle to you. Maybe it doesn't. I think there is a sort of illusion, and maybe even like a cognitive bias almost, when you're, if you put yourself, especially from the perspective of looking through the keyhole, when you're looking at somebody, the idea that they can't see you, there's there's something weird about it. And for some reason, like, it doesn't feel obvious to me when I'm imagining looking through the keyhole, it doesn't feel obvious to me that I'm actually being obscured by the door. Like, it feels like, it feels like they should be able to see me. Something weird about that. I I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Makes me think about telescopes. The point of a telescope 
Well, as a star is giving off light, imagine a beam of light coming, you know, a zillion miles away, and it's pointing straight at us. And imagine you're looking up, and that light, that beam of light, it's pointing straight at your pupil, and it's going to go through your pupil, into your eye, hit your retina, whatever. As that beam of light travels, it spreads out. Just like when you take a flashlight, if you're standing close to the wall, it's a small circle. If you move back, the circle gets bigger, the light spreads out. You can think of that light as consisting of photons. The more condensed the beam is, the more photons there are in it. The denser the photons are packed in. The more the light spreads out, as it travels greater and greater distances, the fewer the photons there are, the less dense the photons are, if that makes sense, the less concentrated the photons are. That's a good word, yeah, concentrated. So if you're right up close to the star, if we're imagining a beam of light pointing straight at your eye, specifically your pupil, if we're imagining a beam of light pointing straight at your pupil, it's going to be a highly concentrated beam of photons if you're up close. <laughs> You'd be incinerated. Or you travel a billion miles, you're a billion miles away, that beam of light is much less concentrated. Lots of photons spread out and away from the beam. And so there's only, you know, some small remnant left that's still pointing straight at your pupil. The whole point of a telescope is to recondense that beam of photons. That's what a telescope does. That's why the most important thing about a telescope is its, is its diameter, not its length. I mean, I think the length is sort of a function of the diameter, but the point is you want to have a telescope that says wide as possible so it's going to take you know imagine you have imagine you have just your pupil it's a little tiny diameter now imagine you could take your pupil that's too weird I don't want to do that what you want to do is get a funnel <laughs> that's what the the telescope is it's a photon funnel so it's wide at the top and then it's going to channel all of those photons into a narrower beam so that they can pass into your pupil. So now you're capturing more photons with your pupil and you see more information. And it's because you captured more photons from it. Because the telescope recondensed that beam of photons. Our second problem is what does it mean to say you're looking back in time when you look through a telescope? I naively took that to mean, let's say we're looking at a star and you're using your telescope to look at it. Imagine, imagine it can zoom in and zoom out. So you zoom further and further in, which means, hmm, how do I put this? the best way to imagine this. You have this beam of light from the star. I thought that, let's say you're, you have a telescope and it's pointing at that star. 
I took this stuff about you're seeing further back in time as, well, if you have a telescope of X strength, you're going to see that star from, let's say, 1 billion years old. Now, if you get a more powerful telescope looking at that same beam of light pointing in the same direction, well, now maybe you can see it from 5 billion years ago. Get an even more powerful telescope. We're looking back 10 billion years. In other words, I hadn't thought about it, and I just took that statement about how we can see further back in time. I took that to mean that we're able to see a given object at different stages, at different ages. I mean, I get the point fundamentally. Light takes time to travel, and therefore, you know, the light that's arriving here, you know, if it's a billion years old, we're seeing what that object looked like a billion years ago. I get that fundamentally. But then, without thinking about it, sort of just an unquestioned assumption I was making on my, you know, kind of unanalyzed interpretation of the statement about how we can see back in time with a telescope, I took that to mean that we could see a given object at different ages. We can't. That's wrong. You always see the most recent light. All right, so we get a telescope pointing at a star. This is our weak telescope. And the first light, the closest light from that object to us is a billion years old. Well, our telescope will see that light. <laughs> our telescope will be showing us what that star looked like a billion years ago. Get a more powerful telescope looking at that same star. Well, the most recent light arriving from that star is still only a billion years old, or it's still a billion, billion years old. So the more powerful telescope, it still only shows us what that star looked like a billion years ago. We're not now looking back 4 billion years or something. You get the most powerful telescope, same story. You always only see the light that is arriving here first. It doesn't matter how powerful your telescope is. You always only see the light that is closest to you from a, an object. It doesn't matter how powerful your telescope is. What's meant by we can see further back in time is really this. Imagine you're looking up at the sky and it's black. You found a spot in the sky where there's no stars. You're looking through a weak telescope. It's just black. Now you get a more powerful telescope and suddenly you can see things. You've captured enough photons from a really diffuse beam of light. Your weak telescope couldn't capture enough of the photons for this object to even register. But your more powerful telescope pointing in the same direction it's able to capture enough photons from that object that now it actually registers as an object. Now let's take our you know medium strength telescope. We were able to see things that the weak telescope couldn't but let's take our medium strength telescope and move it to a spot in the sky where it's still black even with our medium telescope. We don't see anything in this particular spot now we're pointing at. Well we get our our more powerful telescope when we look in that direction and that telescope 
more powerful means greater diameter here. At least that's one of the things it means. Well, that more powerful telescope can now capture enough photons from that what we thought was just a blank spot in the sky, a black spot in the sky, we're able to capture enough photons from a distant object when we're pointed in that direction that now we're able to see things in that in that region. But if we took that powerful telescope and we looked at the previous spots that we looked at with the medium strength and then the weak telescope, we would see the object the objects more clearly. You know, the spot where the weak telescope picked something up. Well, actually, we said the sky was blank, right? The spot where the medium strength telescope could see something. If we took our more powerful telescope, yeah, we'd capture more photons. And so we'd see the object more clearly. But it would still be the object from the exact same time period that the medium telescope was seeing it from. You can't kind of go up and down the beam of light, if that makes sense. And actually, of course, if you were to go up the beam of light closer to the object, you're not going back in time, you're going, you know, so, you know, if the light, let's say the object, the light that's arriving from the object is a billion years old, the light from four billion years ago has already arrived here. I guess it arrived here three billion years before the billion-year-old light, if that makes sense. The point is it's it's gone. You can't you can't view older light from that object. It already passed by us. You can only ever see the light that is arriving here. How can I say? You can only ever see the light that is arriving here. So you're not seeing further back in time with a telescope as you're looking at a given object. Well, how do I say this? You're never seeing the object. I mean, isn't that really what this boils down to? That's the sort of, you know, shift in your conception that really makes sense of all this. All we ever see is photons that are striking us, <laughs> that are entering our pupil. And it doesn't matter how old an object is or how distant an object is or how powerful a telescope is. The only thing we can ever perceive is the photons that are arriving at our pupil now. So we see further back in time in the sense, I mean, we're seeing further back in time in everyday life too. I mean, I'm looking out, I'm in parking lot B at the YMCA in the Honda Fit studio, and I see some, some plants or some trees and stuff at the edge of the parking lot. I'm, what I'm seeing is the photons that are bouncing off of those objects. And those photons bounced off those objects, you know, a millisecond ago or whatever. So the model I have in my head of that object is that object a millisecond ago. Like the, the leaves are blowing in the wind. The movements that I'm perceiving are movements that occurred a millisecond ago. Maybe it's, you know, a millisecond to the 10th power or negative 10th power, whatever. The point is it's not happening at the same time that my mind is forming an image of it. All right, so are we seeing back in time with a telescope? We're seeing further back in time than we are without a telescope. 
But vision is always creating models of the world as it was at some previous stage. Maybe it's a previous stage that occurred a split second ago. Maybe it's a previous stage that occurred 10 billion years ago. But we're always interpreting the light that is currently arriving at our pupil. And it doesn't matter how powerful our telescope is. What telescopes do is not fundamentally different from what your eyes do. In fact, they're not even really analogous. A telescope is a photon funnel. Whether you're not using a telescope or you are using a telescope, your vision is always doing the same thing. It's interpreting the photons that are currently arriving at your pupil. The telescope allows you to condense a beam of light, a beam of photons, that has traveled a great distance. And so an object that's a great distance away that might otherwise not register in your vision will now register in your vision. But there's something about the claim that it allows you to see back in time. It allows you to see further back in time, doesn't it? We can say that, right? Yeah, because the object is further away. It emitted photons a longer time ago than, you know, the objects in daily life. And so the beam of light from that object is so diffuse that the photons can't register in your vision without this funnel to condense them, to recondense them. Okay. Okay.